Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. He had a couple of near-drowning experiences growing up. He could hardly even imagine getting in the water, especially putting his head underwater. It terrified him. So how in the world could it be that this man would jump into open ocean, albeit parallel with the shore, and engage in an open water swim over a mile? Answer, discomfort. Some of you might know what I'm getting at. There's a man by the name of Tim Ferriss. He's a best-selling author, podcaster, blogger. The name of the blog is The One Hour Work Week because we all know that that's realistic. And in this writing that he does and in the podcasting that he does, the main premise is to challenge people to rethink the way they approach obstacles. And so he foists himself into these insane tests so that he can get his readers and his listeners to rethink the way that you and I approach difficulty and obstacles and work and success and validation and things at work and things at home and basically all of life. So he does things like learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu in five days. It's hard enough to say, much less to learn how to do. He had some intense challenges throughout the week and he even ended up in the ER with a broken rib thinking that was going to be, that was going to be the end of it. He studied parkour, which is this stunt-induced, high-flying, jumping and running through high-impact and compact urban centers from one building to a staircase to some other block. He had never done it before, and he studied under one of, the, one of these, these leaders and professionals of the day. Even though he's afraid of heights, he's going to be jumping from buildings. You think, why jump from buildings to begin with? But why? Why do all of this? So that he himself can not just say, but also lead by example, what it means to learn something that you think is never attainable, it is entirely impossible, and the solution precisely being discomfort. Discomfort. His main premise is, and even as a coffee mug that summarizes it, and on this coffee mug, it says, you will get farther if you start than if you didn't. It's kind of a motivational speaker. And whatever that benchmark is, and whatever that obstacle is, he basically says, if you go for it, you will learn more and you will accomplish more, especially if you compare that to where you would end up doing absolutely nothing. And sure, it stands to reason, but there's all these mental blocks that are imagined, and so many of them really are not entirely realistic. They're just imagined. The solution? Make yourself uncomfortable. Foist yourself into discomfort. This has absolutely everything to do with the church on this Ascension Sunday. As you heard in the lessons before, it was 40 days after Easter that Jesus ascended into heaven. And in addition to the s'mores and the devotion we celebrated on Thursday, we also set aside this Sunday to make a big deal out of this because, well, it is a big deal regardless as to whether or not it gets any commercialism or notoriety or publicity. There's no Ascension cards or gifts that were exchanged, I think, this morning. I don't think you saw a single Ascension commercial this week, but this is still a big deal because it seems entirely counterintuitive that on this day, Jesus ascends into heaven and that seems to be a good thing. Kind of like just leaves us all on our own. At what place on planet Earth and in history has it ever worked where the number one focal point, the driver, the force, and the leader takes off and then things go well for the long haul? I can't think of one either. 
And this is somehow a good thing. I mean, imagine how difficult this was for the disciples. You can even hear that in Jesus' tone. This is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything that was said about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He has to continually focus them upon the word. Why? Because this is something they had never known. You and I kind of know what it's like to walk through our Christian life without Jesus physically, tangibly, locally, right here. They don't. From the moment that he went to the tax collector's booth to the shores of the Sea of Galilee and called them to follow and created faith by the power of his word, they only knew a spiritual walk with Jesus physically. When the boat was being swamped and Jesus is sleeping in the back and they are terrified thinking that they're going to die, he stands up and he calms the storm and he calms their fears and their doubts inwardly too, doesn't he? when they would encounter antagonizing opposition in those jerkish religious zealots of the day who were trying to tell them, you have to do this and you can't do that and you have to do this and you you can't do that. And those legalistic zealots still exist alive and well today, by the way. Jesus always had the proper words to say, pointing back to the Old Testament to foil their plan every single time. He was right there for them. He cured disease and he made the blind see. The deaf could hear and the lame could walk. He even raised people from death back to life. And even when it came to those most doubt-filled and grief-stricken moments, Jesus was there to show them his hands, still with the nail holes and his feet and his side, to assure them that their doubts are dispelled, their guilt can encounter God's grace and their sins are forgiven. And it's not just words, but it is an eternity worth of peace that he spoke and gave to them, that being he, the resurrected Christ. So of all the things that he could give them now, now that he has lived for, died for, and risen for them and for us all, the one thing you would think that he wouldn't be would be gone. Hey, disciples, here's the thing that I'm going to give you from, from now on. I'm out. Come again? This doesn't necessarily seem to be like a really good idea. And maybe you and I can relate more than you initially think. See, we don't know what it's like to have Jesus physically there. Our entire life of faith thus far has been one without him physically there, although he is certainly here, as we will clearly see in our lesson. It would be nice, though, if he were. I mean, think about it. The next time somebody gives you the proverbial version of a right cross, in their antagonizing tone against your Christian faith, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was right there? When they ask you questions and you don't have an answer, when they have things that only increase your doubts and, and don't wipe them away, when, when the atheist or the agnostic is getting fierce and maybe even battle-ready with you, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was literally standing right there and you just could kind of... B-team, step back, A-team, go ahead. Just go ahead, you're, you're Jesus. What about the times when guilt and grief and shame visit you? Because there's one thing that's true of all people, it's that it plays no favorites. In fact, everybody is its favorite. Whether you're lying awake at night or you wake up in the morning of the harsh words you said the day before, the mistakes that you've made throughout the week, you're thinking about how you can try to do better this week because, well, last week was, that was abysmal. When you think of the mistakes of your past and even the sins of your present, Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus were right there? 
and you could call him and he could come over and he could shove his hands right in your face and he could say, I want you to look. I don't want you to look anywhere else. Stop looking at yourself as though you think you're going to fix it. Stop looking at your gut as though you think you have the resolve to make it better. I want you to look at my hands. You see those holes? That was me dying to pay for your sins and it's finished. It's finished. You are forgiven. No more guilt. Don't let that haunt you. Don't let people lord your sins over you. I don't care if they know you better than you wish that they knew you and they like to remind you of those mistakes you made. I don't care. I'm the son of God and I'm telling you what's better. It would be nice if Jesus could do that, right? If he could say, you see what I did for you? All of your sins are paid for. And if you could see it like Thomas and the disciples, even if, even for those times when we don't really think that we're enough. I mean, the disciples had that too, right? When they found out either the easy way or the hard way that they really never could measure up. And I especially feel that. I mean, this isn't my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. I'm never enough for this. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus were right here and he could say, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, Caleb, bad idea. Yeah, that was dumb. You learned that the hard way. Like, do this. This is what the church should be. This is, this is what we should do. And not just for the church, Caleb, but this, this for your life. This is what you need to do. And you're never going to be enough, Caleb. You're never going to be enough. And that's the point. The point is that I'm enough for you. If he could say that to me and if he could say that for you. No, you're never going to be the best mom. You're never going to be the best dad. And you know that. It's okay. My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. You're never going to be the best student. It's okay. It's okay. I love you, and I've saved you, and I've redeemed you, and you are mine. Wouldn't it be nice if he was standing right there and could just put the horse blinders up with his hands and to just make us focus on him physically, locally, tangibly? That would make it all better, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. For two reasons. One is, well, quite practically, if Jesus were still here physically, locally, tangibly, you would have to go find him physically, locally, tangibly. And aside from trying to merge through that traffic jam of billions of Christians trying to get their hands on and reach and talk to Jesus, that would be the only way that you would really be able to have a relationship with him, practically. That's the first reason. It doesn't really work. It doesn't really make sense. The biggest reason is what he said in our lesson. The way that he is present with you is by ascending, by going away. Not to be away, but to be close to absolutely every single one of you. How? Through his word. Think of it. From the time of Moses, roughly 1500 BC, until roughly 500 BC, all of the Old Testament had been inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded, and get this, preserved for you and me, just as it was for the disciples. And Jesus said, all of those prophet promises and those prophecies that were made about me, kept every single one of them. Born in Bethlehem, check. Went to Egypt and then back out, check. Born of a virgin, check. Walk on down the line, he would thirst, check. An evil band of men would encircle him, check. He would suffer, check. He would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, check. Nothing in his appearance would attract us to him, check. He would do ministry around the Sea of Galilee, check. And against all odds, and the odds can't even be tabulated or quantified to demonstrate how unrealistic it is that one person could do this, Jesus is that one person. And you would know it. And not only that, would you have just information of the Old Testament? But it would be the very power by which you would know that God has always abided with his people in the past, as he does even right here and now. Has he not clothed you with power from on high and given you this confidence in his word? 
The very fact that you can open up your Bible, the very fact that you have Christian friends who might share an encouraging word, the very fact that you could be driving down the road and conjure up a memory that relates to the gospel, the very fact that you could have a pastor who would share God's word with you, a brother or sister, a mother or father, anyone and any way that God's word has come across your mind, your eyes, your ears, where does all of that come from? Where does all of that come from? It doesn't come from a God who's distant. It doesn't come from a God who doesn't care about you specifically, you personally. It comes from a God who cares about you. He knows you by name. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He cared about you from the word go, even before that. So now, has he, has he not given you anything? Of course he's given you more than just some little thing. He's given you his word, and it is in his word that you know that he cares about you and that he is with you. That's the promise that he makes to you. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wherever two or three are gathered together around God's word, he says, there am I with them. He's with you. That should give you only confidence in his word. Everything that God could have possibly given you could not measure up to the Bible. And I know I'm going to say that because I'm a pastor and those are the nerdy things that pastors say, but it's bigger than that. It is that God has given you the one thing, more than just information, but it is a force. It is power from on high that would change hearts that would unveil the plan of God's salvation and would open the gates to eternal life. And he would give that to you. You should have all the confidence in the world in God's word. That is how Jesus abides with you and is with you. He didn't ascend to be away. He ascended to send his word so he would be with absolutely every single one of you. So everything depends upon and focuses back to God's word, right? 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 I'm asking it again because as I look at my life, has that always been the focal point? The greatest gift that God could give me, his love letter to me, the means by which he would change my heart so I would not die despairing, but I would know I have a Savior who loves me. It's all wrapped up in God's word. Has that been the focal point of my life? I could show you my calendar. I could tell you tons of stories. It hasn't been. And I don't think I'm alone. But you know the grace that God gives you in our lesson today? It's that forgiveness for every person who repents of those sins and every other. Forgiveness would be preached to all nations just as he promised. Because he kept that promise too, right? And forgiveness would reach all nations, including, including this one. So that forgiveness, that message would reach not just people on the other side of the globe, but it would reach people like you. So you would know that every time somebody tries to throw your sins in your face, your shame-filled past right in front of you, you're forgiven, and that matters more. That's a stronger message than any amount of sin. Anytime when you feel like you don't measure up, that you're not enough, and it's not just that you're being a little self-deprecating, but it's that you're being honest with yourself. That God would remind you that you belong to him now and forever. He ascended to make that a fact. Every single time you face somebody who'd like to tell you otherwise about the promises of God and the certainty you have in eternity, that he would, he would open up his word and something powerful would happen. He would give you peace, not just in words, but an eternity worth of peace. 
in the face of death, in the face of sickness, in the face of guilt, in the face of anything. You have a Savior who lives and ascended not to go away, but to be near through his word. You have all the confidence in the world in God's word. It also gives you comfort to know that he is here with you as you witness. There's a, there's a greatest gift that a mom could give to a child. What do you think that is? What do you think is the greatest gift that a mom could give to a child? I don't know, you're going to get 100 different opinions. How about all of it? That's a pretty safe bet, right? All of the things that a mom could give to a child, there it is. See how safe that was? It was really plain and safe there. But there's a reason for that, because when the child grows up, and the mom kind of lets the child go, does the mom say, never write, please don't call, your chair at the table's taken away and burned, don't want to hear from you, good riddance, it's nice knowing you, you are on your own, double cinder block, brick wall, see ya, changing my phone number, like no loving and reasonable mom says that, hopefully no mom says that unless you give her a reason to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, what does a mom say? Mom really doesn't have to say anything because the kid should kind of know, right? And the gifts that the mom gives the church is everything. It's that the child knows that while the child is going away and grown up and they can be their own person and adult now, it's not that mom's gone. They still kind of have those memories nagging in the back of their head. It kind of even maybe as an adult before they reach for that second cookie, like looking around, it's mom, oh yeah, I'm an adult now. Um, but it's more than that. It is, it's the love and the warmth that mom had given, the wisdom that was so often demonstrated not just with words but with especially actions. It's the kindness and the love and the affection that God made mothers to have and to give to their children so that while children go away, they are not without a mom. Even if mom is in heaven, even then, it's not like the things that she gave somehow cease to exist. In fact, especially if she's in heaven, those gifts are all the more poignant, are they not? God has given you so much more through the ascension of his son. He hasn't just shoved you off on your own and said, never call, never write, see ya, catch you on the flip side. He sends you away and he says, every single prayer you have, it can be a murmur, it can be non-intelligible words. That is gonna matter. I'm gonna make the father hear that He's going to understand it, and it's going to matter according to his will. Every concern you have, he's listening. Every gift you would ever need for this difficult and uncomfortable life, he's already given you. Yes, he has foisted you into a tough world, and he's even called you to be a witness in a world that is hostile to that message, to tell people that they are sinful, that they are going to die, that there is a place called hell, and that there is a Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Popular message or unpopular message? And he's called you to be a witness of that. Is that crazy? But he has not left you alone. It is so that you would have comfort to know he is with you, that he says, you will be my witnesses. You're only a witness of every good and perfect gift that he's already given you. And you would know that he's with you every step of the way. So that when you talk to the people around you, you don't have to go to far distant lands. You don't have to cross oceans to be a witness. There are people in your life right now who need to know of a peace that surpasses the difficult reality that they see. There are people who need to know why this world is so uncomfortable, but exactly why the ascended Christ has given us every gift. So while it's uncomfortable, it's actually only going to expand our sphere of comfort. There are people in your life who need to have an answer for their sin, who need to deal with guilt, 
who are struggling with death, either the death of loved ones or their own. And God has not left Jesus here on this globe so that he would be the only person to share that message with them. Instead, he sent someone who is in their life right here and now. So they wouldn't have to cross oceans. So that they could hear these words. Words clothed with power from on high. Words from somebody who seems ordinary. Words from somebody who looks and thinks that they really are not much. Somebody like me. Somebody like you who could share that message with somebody near you, your neighbor, your family member, your coworker, your friend. And in so doing, they would have the comfort of knowing that while there's a Savior who has ascended far above the heavens, he is not far away. In fact, he is always near. He is always here. And it is always through his word that he is with you. May God bless you to that end. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Curtis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.